Good morning. Today's scripture reading is from Revelation, chapter 7, 9 to 17, on page 9. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is the word of the Lord. A few um, a few weeks ago in Las Vegas, there was an opening of a brand new venue called The Sphere. It opened up with uh, perhaps my favorite band performing, U2, and they're there in a residency. The Sphere is, um, let me get my notes here ready so that I can tell you exactly what it is. It is a 17,500 person capacity venue that's housed in a giant orb that's 366 feet tall and 516 feet wide. It's huge. You can see it from all over the city. It's in the Venetian and it's in this far off corner of Las Vegas. And on the outside of it, there's all sorts of things that can happen. One of the, one of the things that gets uh, projected onto the outside of the orb is emoji smiley faces and frowny faces. And it sleeps at night and it wakes up at day. But then on the inside, when you walk inside this 17,500, remember that's less than HBF Stadium, by the way, um, that's here. It is a screens basically all over the inside, that it becomes immersive. Now, for me, as a person with vertigo, I could not actually walk into that building. Um, I would fall right over as soon as I stepped into it. I would just, boop, just down like that. We've done that here before. We're not going to do that today. However, when you 2 opened and they opened the orb, by the way, they're getting paid $4 million every night that they play. Crazy. Um, I could go off on a little tangent here, but I'm not going to. I'm going to hold myself restrained. Um, I mean, they're worth it, kind of. Uh, all right. So uh, 
the amount of social media and the amount of news coverage that was made for the 17,500, this small amount of people that got to be present in the opening of the sphere and to see you two perform their Rattle and Hum album and some other um, things. Like, it, it, made, it made me want to be there. It made me want to be present, to be part of that. Um, and then I started seeing some of my friends talking about them going to the sphere and doing it. And I was like, oh, I really wish I could be there. It's similar in some ways to what's taken place just recently with the Matildas coming back and playing here in Perth. You realize the Matildas have had 11 sold-out events since running up before um, the World Cup. And the three that they announced here, two in HBF Stadium, that's 20,000 people, far more than get to see um, you two. And then uh, one of the uh, matches that they played as an Olympic qualifier was in Optus Stadium, right? Which is what, 70, 60,000 people sold out. That means people were going online to see if there were extra tickets. Is there a way for me to get in? Because people want to see Sam Kerr and, you know, I mean, she's a home state girl, right? We should cheer that. And the Matildas play. There's something innate about us that we desire to be part of something bigger than what we are, something that is in the, the, the consciousness of everyone around us, that, that thing that we can say, oh, I was there, I was present, I was part of that, I got to be involved. And if you've ever been part of something like that, a big giant event, a, a rally or, or a concert or um, something that happened that you didn't know, whether it be something to celebrate or sometimes it's things that are tragic, right? That we all are witnessing and seeing um, throughout our lives. You can remember the tangible feeling of what it's like. That there's a moment where you think to yourself, I will never forget this moment. We've been talking about the church for the last four Sundays. We've been talking about what the church is and what does it mean for us to be part of the church. We, we recognize that the church itself, the local gathering of, of God's people is Christ-ordained because those of us who have been saved, been brought from death into life, those of us who have been adopted into the family of God, those of us who have moved from being those who are trapped in bondage but have been sent into freedom, we find our lives in Christ, which by the way, that's in Colossians, which we're going back to after this series is over starting next week. That our lives are in Christ, and if our lives are in Christ, then we're called to be his body, and the way that the body of Christ shows itself is in the gathering in particular places. We talked about the benefits and the expectations of what it means to be the body of Christ, that, that we are connected to one another, that we give courage to one another, that we give comfort to one another. And in this place, we can understand the call that God has put on our lives, that our presence is required, that we have to be with each other in order to be the body of Christ, that participation is necessary for us to be with one another. And that each one of us in our particularness have gifts and talents and tithes to bring. 
We talked about throughout the, the New Testament, we see what one another means. This idea that my life is not my own and that uh, I can battle against the expressive individualism that James nicely defined for us again today. That the world pushes on us. And last week we talked about what does it mean to give generously, to have a gospel-centered approach, a a Christ-honoring approach to my money and my talents. All the gifts that God has given me to move in a generous way. And today we're looking at this passage in Revelation. And it reminds us that this gathering here and all gatherings that are similar to this throughout the Western world and then how the gatherings look throughout all the rest of the world in majority countries, because they don't look like this. I just want to let you know that. I mean, we're comfortable here and that's good and God allows us to be in that place. But the church doesn't look like this all over the world. It operates differently. It looks different. sounds different. But in all of those places, in all of those things, that when that happens, that it is a foretaste of what God is already doing. That it is a reminder that God's kingdom is present in this world today and that we are to be its presence and its proclamation. That the church is the ones who are calling forth saying the kingdom of God is here and that we in fact are within the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God is represented by the rule of God. It's good that we preach through Colossians. It it just ties in so well in this particular series that we're talking about. If you remember when we preached through Colossians 1, we heard and saw that Christ is over all. And in him, all things have their being. That he holds all things together. That he, in fact, is king and ruler of the universe. And he has established his kingdom here on earth. And we are representatives, ambassadors of that kingdom. And in Revelations uh, that we just read, Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 17, we see a calling out of what it looks like, what the kingdom is and what it will be. This understanding that a great multitude of everyone from every nation and tribe and people and language are standing before the throne of God and crying out to the Lamb praises and glory and honor. And they are those who are chosen by God, brought in and cleansed, walking through tribulation. So that we are called these people. At the very end there, if you flip in your booklet or you have your Bibles open to that passage, they are before the throne of God and they serve him day and night in his temple and he who sits on the throne will shelter them in his presence. Never again will they be hungry. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eye. What what John, through Holy Spirit, is saying at this moment, that there is a time that is coming and is even now present, that God has established his kingdom, and in that kingdom, it is reordering creation. 
It is bringing about the shalom rule that God ordained at the beginning of creation, before the foundations of the world even, to say, in my rule, there will be peace, there will be comfort, there will be plenty, there will be joy, there will be truth. And the world in its fallen state, in its continual desire to be our own gods, continue to wreck that. But what God does through the church is he allows us to proclaim and be the very presence of this shalom rule. This place of undoing the brokenness that is in the world and making it whole and complete again. And so the major thrust of this gathering together is first worship. The second thing that it is is to make the shalom rule of God possible in the broken world today. Not in order for God to be uh, brought back. Not in order for Jesus to go, you've got it set up right for me to now come back. But to show that Christ already rules. That there are those of us who have submitted through Holy Spirit to Christ's rule. And because of that, we live not for ourselves, but for his glory and for his kingdom. One of my favorite missionaries, theologians, uh, priest, is a guy named Leslie Newbigin or Newbigin, and in his book, The Gospel in a Pluralist Society, he says this, how is it possible that the gospel should be credible, that people should come to believe that the power which has the last word in human affairs is represented by a man hanging on the cross? I'm suggesting that the only answer, the only hermeneutic are or, or lens in which to view this, the only hermeneutic of the gospel is a congregation of men and women who believe it and live by it. I'm, of course, not denying the importance of the many activities by which we seek to challenge public life with the gospel. Evangelical campaigns, distribution of Bibles and Christian literature, conferences, and even books like the one you're reading now. But I am saying that these are all secondary and that they have power to accomplish their purpose only as they are rooted in and led back to the believing community, the church. Jesus, as I said earlier, did not write a book, but formed a community. The community has at its heart the remembering and rehearsing of his words and deeds and the sacraments given to him through which it has enabled us to both bring new members in and renew life for them and then renew life for us in Christ's risen life through his broken body. The church exists in him and for him. He is the center of it. And when it is true of its nature, not by the characters of the members that are in it. In a paper that's written about Newbegin and how he engages missional thinking, 
Christopher James, who's uh, the professor of evangelism and Christian missional Christianity at Dubuque Theological Seminary, says this. When Newbegin says, the, churches, the church lives in the midst of history as a sign, an instrument, and a foretaste of the reign of God. The church finds its identity and mission in what it points to as a sign, what it tastes like as a foretaste, and what it participates in bringing about as an instrument. We are called as a church to be a sign and a foretaste and the instrument in which the kingdom of God is made present in the world. And so what does that look like? For us to be those people who are gathered together to worship, to live in the reign of what God is doing, and to move forward in order to bring others in, not just so we get bigger or that the kingdom of God gets bigger, but so that they will move from death to life. They will move from bondage to freedom. Just like we have had the great privilege of doing. Well, the first thing that we do is we promote unity as opposed to uniformity. You see, the world desires everyone to be like me. (laughs) Whoever is wanting that group of people to be like them, they decide this is what we should all look like. God came so that there would be unity. That says, I will call you out and bring true peace among you. And so what that means as a body, a gathering of people, is we don't allow secondary and third and fourth issue things cause division. We look at them and recognize that each one of us in our consciousness with Holy Spirit can have a differing view and understanding of certain things that are happening in the world and even within the church. But as long as we are focused on the essentials, which is the gospel, that God came in Christ to save us, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father but through him, and that his call is for us not to stay the way that we are, but be to transform into his very likeness. So that means there are things in my life, there are things in your life that have to fade away. Uh, More bluntly, there are things in your life and my life that need to be burned up trashed, things that we might even hold dear. Because if we allow them to continue to be elevated to a place of prominence, then our loves get disordered and our ultimate love, which is God, gets subjugated to something that will never fulfill us. And so a church that's gathered together to be this foretaste, to be this sign, to be the instrument that brings about the kingdom of God is one who seeks unity and not uniformity. The second thing that we do is we are generous gratitude opposed to greed. We have generous gratitude as opposed to greed. We we don't live in that place of scarcity holding on to our own control, our own power, our own resources, but we recognize that in gratitude to the things that God has done, we can bring about generosity. That we walk into the place where we go, this is not mine. It is a gift from the Lord, whatever it may be. And I will give it up. 
Uh, being good stewards of those things, mind you. Not like my friend who gets a car and dings it right away. Because, you know, it's going to burn up anyway. But we look at the things and we say, are we working well within the kingdom of God in order for him to receive glory and honor in the way that our lives are walking? Or do we walk close-handed, holding on to the things that we want? To be a, a kingdom signpost, foretaste, an instrument for it to come, we must be those who seek justice as opposed to revenge. That doesn't mean that discipline does not happen. But it is restorative discipline, not retributive discipline. It says, we will all stumble and fall, but how do we walk in a way that we bring wholeness into each other's lives? And even beyond just in this group, how do we seek justice in the world as opposed to revenge? Looking at places where people have done us wrong and seeking to forgive them as the Father has forgiven us. You see, when the church is a signpost of the kingdom, we should be known by being people who don't hold offense. that don't seek to, to circle the wagons when somebody's coming to get us. But with love and mercy, we go towards. Now, it's true in this place of justice and revenge, ultimately, we have to give people over to God. Because we in our flesh will fail and we know that those who we are walking with will as well. And sometimes there's places where we have to go, while I'm seeking God's justice and waiting for it to come, I must stop relationship at this moment because it will do more damage than not. It wrecks the peace that is exemplifying the kingdom of God. And so I have to hold back. Now, some of us hear that and we're like, yes, thank goodness, I want to hold back. Some of us hear that and we're like, that's going to be really hard for me, so I need people to pray for me that I will not think I can make this person right. Because <laughs> ultimately, I'm seeking revenge there. Th this weird type of revenge that says, once you get like me, you'll understand that I was right and your life will be better. It's a reverse revenge that says, and then the world will be perfect because they'll all be like me. And what have I just done? So we seek unity, not uniformity, generous, generous gratitude versus greed, justice versus revenge. And we move to a place of appeal Appealing to those around us as opposed to appeasement. Now this, I think, is the one that is most difficult for us as a church, as a church in Western society. It is our desire to appeal, to say, look, life is here. Mercy is present. The truth that can transform your life and bring you out of bondage. We have the answer. Because it seems arrogant. 
And part of that's because we've done it very arrogantly in the past. And probably still will into the future. But because we're afraid of appearing to be high po- uh, uh, tall poppies. High poppies is a completely different thing. <laughs> tall poppies. We will instead appease. Now we say belong be- before you believe. Because the bees work together. And I've explained that as you're coming, hear that word belong, meaning you are welcome. You, you are here. You are wanting to, to be present, and we want you to be present. In all that we do, come. But there is a line. When you look at this passage in Revolution, uh, Revelation 7, and the man says, uh, one of the elders says, uh, who are these in the white robes? And, and John answers, you know. And he says, you're right. These are the ones who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. There are those who are not washed robes. And as much as I don't want that to be. And so there's a line. There, there's a difference. There are those who are within the body and submitted to the reign of the good, gracious king. And there are those who are not. But I assure you, the way to move them, to challenge them, to encourage them into even considering it is not to appease them. But it's in life Indeed, in love and in word, to appeal to them and say, there is something more. This week, I was listening to one of the, I I was driving, I was a lot in my car this week, and I was listening to the radio, because that's what I do a lot when I'm in my car, because I can listen to podcasts and other things other times, but when I'm in the car, I want to listen to the radio, because it helps me um, pick up my Australian accent. Although, on Perth ABC now, there are more South Africans and other nationalities than there are Australians, and I can bear, like I started speaking in a South African accent the other day, because the traffic girl. And they were talking about um, the Western Australian nominees for Australian of the Year. And they had one on. Uh, and her name is uh, uh, Katrina. And she founded She Code about nine years ago, which is an organization that helps um, women and girls learn how to engage in technology and coding. Um, in, in, in the technology realm, only about 33% of employees are female, uh, is what they say. And so they, they organize to say, uh, how can we help teach STEM and, and teach these things? And so she's been nominated. It's, um, she works with billion-dollar companies. She's um, very engaging, and she's this um, probably 30-something-year-old and as they were talking, they were talking about the things that they do and the one-day seminars and all. And it was really kind of 
interesting. But then there came this point where, because um, coding is boring, by the way. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> I mean, it's boring to me. Uh, and all of a sudden, she says, but it's not just about coding. And, and the interviewer goes, oh. And she goes, these are folks who end up being in each other's weddings. These are the folks who end up um, going out and having lunch together. They're meeting up to get coffee before they come in to the class that they're in, the, inc- the, the incubators that they're working in. That it really begins to form community, a place for them to belong so that they can learn together and grow. And I thought, oh, I know a better one. I I know a place that's not just about learning how to write a script in code in order to make the computer, and I'm so grateful that they do that because I wouldn't know about um, the inside of the sphere and what you too did had people not written the code to create those apps that I get on, right? But in the end, if there's no electricity and I can't charge my phone, that code doesn't matter. In, in the end, that community is great for them, but the purpose, the thing that they're moving to is shallow. Even as great as it is to bring us so many fun things. The thing that withstands, the thing within the world that will exceed, the thing that is eternal is the body of Christ. The signpost, the foretaste, And the mechanism in which God designed to be able to bring about the kingdom of God. To show his right and generous reign. As we work together in Holy Spirit to bring unity and generous gratitude and justice. And in doing those things, appeal with God's love to those that are around us. And so as we step into an AGM, as we move forward into what the life of Fremantle Church looks like, I hope and I pray that we will be a church, a gathering of people who work as those who are a foretaste of the kingdom of God. Let me pray for us. Father, let us 